Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. Evening, everyone. Hi. Kind of jumped up from behind here. Um, my name's Hannah. I'm part of the team here at Central, and it's, it's great to be with you this evening. That was Astrid's story. Astrid is one of our young people here. Well done, Astrid, for sharing your story. If you are here this evening, big shout out to you. That was very brief, and um, it was just brilliant to hear what it looks like for God to change somebody's world. And over the next few weeks, over um, our Easter series, we're going to be hearing a few more stories and testimonies from different people. How has God changed their world? And Astrid's story is all about what happens when God shows up in your life, whether it's for the first time, whether it's for the 51st time. When God shows up, what happens to you? What changes? What does he do? And um, personally, myself, I've grown up in a Christian home. I wish sometimes I had one of those, you know, amazing Christian testimonies where like, I was like this, and now I'm like this. But for me, it's been a bit more gradual. Over many years, God has shown up in my life consistently and encountered me. And yeah, there's been stuff that he's had to work on in my life, but it's not been the dramatic conversion experience that, that some people have. And then... Um, I guess some of the question that I'd love for us to work through this evening is when God shows up, what does that look like for us? And I sense that this evening God would call us to a place of encounter with him, with Jesus. His heart is to show up. He is like the perpetual house guest that you can't get rid of. That flatmate that isn't really a flatmate but is still staying in your house. He's a bit like that. And those of us who have met with Jesus um, testify and and know and believe that that God loved this whole world so much that he sent Jesus. He put on flesh. And that's what the word incarnation up there on the screen meant. Incarnate. It means incarnate. Carne is actually the Latin word for flesh. So God put on flesh. God put on flesh in Jesus and he moved into the world. And he did that, you know, for so many reasons that I could like spend the next like four hours, which you'll be utterly thrilled to hear I'm not going to do, talking about why Jesus came. He did it to restore relationship for us with the Father, to demonstrate the kingdom, to proclaim the good news of our Father, to deal with the sin and the evil and the sickness in our world once and for all. And the story that we are going to explore this evening in in the Bible together is the story of God incarnate, Jesus in the flesh, in actual historical time arriving in a city called Jerusalem. And so we're going to dive straight in there this evening, if that's all right with you. So if you've got a Bible, you might want to open it to Matthew 21, and we're going to go straight in and read this story together. If you've not got a Bible, it'll appear on the screen behind me. Matthew chapter 21. When God shows up, what happens? As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. 
Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed him. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it into a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you Lord have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out to the city to Bethany where he spent the night. Let's just pray as we come around God's word together this evening. Father, I thank you that you speak and I thank you that you show up both then in the person of Jesus in real concrete, historical, fleshly, human terms. You showed up, God incarnate. I thank you that you show up just as much today. We thank you that you are here and we ask Jesus that you would teach us this evening, that you would lead us to know you more, what it is to follow you more. We welcome you. Would you come and speak? Amen. So, Matthew, who wrote this gospel, sets up this story as the long an extremely complicated soap drama of God and Israel, God's people, that's their name, Israel. And um, basically, Israel have consistently rejected God. They've not wanted anything to do with him. And let's just say God does not take rejection very well. He's like the ex-boyfriend you can't get rid of. He's like, no, I'm not having this. So into this void of rejection, God sends Jesus. God incarnate. He puts flesh on and he moves into the neighborhood. And Jesus arrives and he makes it very clear that it's his calling to present the arrival of God's kingdom on earth to the people whom he loves. But there's a bit of a problem. He arrives in Jerusalem and this is not the holy city that he was expecting. This is not as things were supposed to be. This city had been chosen by God as his holy resting place. He was like, 
If there's going to be one place on earth where you know you can come and find me, it's going to be here. It's going to be Jerusalem. And if there's one place in the whole city where I'm going to be, my presence is going to dwell, you are invited to encounter me, then it's in, it's in the temple. But all of this has been corrupted. What was supposed to be a system for peace with God, for making peace with God, that the doves and, and the money changes and being able to change your money once you got into Jerusalem to make an offering to God to make peace. A system for peace had become systemically perverted by the leadership of God's temple. And so Jesus, God in flesh, gets angry. This is the passage, isn't it? That it's like our go-to Christian passage. Jesus got angry. Let's talk about the temple. But there's something deeper here than just economic exploitation right? There's something deeper. There's something darker. Actually, Jesus is angry because the city is missing the point. And my absolute favorite theologian of all time says this about the people of God, Tom Wright. They were embracing a vision of God and his kingdom, which was fundamentally different from the vision which Jesus was announcing and living out. And you know, it's funny how in my life when God has shown up time and time again, it's like some of the stuff and the trappings of my life that I'd just taken completely for granted, it's just normal, get shown up to be fake, get shown up to be false, get shown up to be actually, quite frankly, missing the point. And I was thinking a bit about this because in um, November last year, Tom and I, my husband and I, came home from work to find um, a, a sizable bill from the window cleaning company who was supposed to clean our windows. And um, we were fairly sure that either they hadn't cleaned the windows at all or they'd done a really awful job. And so Tom, businessman that he is, just rang up and cancelled. He doesn't really kind of take any messing, so he's like, no not having this, but we've not since employed a new window cleaner. If there are any window cleaners here this evening, please come and see me afterwards, because basically our windows are a complete mess. Now that it's springtime and the sun, are, the sun is kind of beginning to appear in Edinburgh, we can live in hope, can't we, that in some point mid-August it'll get sunny for about a week, um, but the sun is beginning to shine through the windows and literally they're filthy. Like, you know when the sun shines through and you see all the dirt that had been there sort of through Christmas but you'd never even realised? Well, Holy Spirit is a little bit like that sunshine. When Holy Spirit shines into our lives, he illuminates the things that miss the point. And this Easter, whether God is showing up in your life for the first time or for the 51st time, might he be doing that for you? Gently, so gently, but firmly nudging you. Are you missing the point? This is Jesus. This, this is Jesus. So I've got a few questions that I'd love us to just consider as we come around this Bible passage. And my first question is, when God shows up, what do you expect? What do you expect? Because expectation is a very powerful thing, right? I fully expect this time next week to be gorging myself on chocolate Easter eggs. Anyone else? Yeah, a few nods from the ladies. Good work. And uh, my sister's here this evening, so if you're taking notes, preferably the lint milk chocolate variety would be great. 
Um, and actually, I have a story about this, which is I was actually contemplating not telling it because it doesn't reflect so well on my parents, but my little sister came to stay last night and she said, actually, I think it'll be all right. So my mum and dad actually listen on podcasts, so this could go very wrong for me, but if you are listening, it's actually Maddie's fault because she told me I could do it. So one Christmas, I'm a family of four, four kids, um, Christmas time, very excited. Christmas morning, we have this tradition after we open our stockings, which are from Father Christmas. We um, then have our, our Christmas present from our mum and dad. Individual presents. Uh, but this Christmas, they sat us down and they said, guys, exciting news. Your Christmas present isn't actually in this room. It's next door in your dad's office. So we'll put our coats on. We go next door. He runs like this outdoor... At that time, he ran like an outdoor centre, so we had to walk across the yard to the office. And uh, we're getting, you know, getting quite excited at this point. Like, ah, what's it going to be? I think I'd asked for, like, straighteners. I was, like, 14. My siblings were, like, maybe, like, 12, 9, and 7. And then we walk over, and there's this massive, massive... I mean, literally kind of, like, yay size to, like, yay size. And then... So excited, and we rip off the wrapping paper, and there, underneath the wrapping paper, is a drum kit which my youngest brother David had asked for. Happy Christmas! This is for all four of you <laughs> to share. <laughs> Expectations slightly dashed at this point, and I have to say, my parents are some of the most generous people I know, and they've more than made up for this, you know, unfortunate circumstance um, since. Then. But expectations are powerful things, and that's a slightly frivolous example. But we can have quite serious expectations, can't we? I expected this relationship to work out in a particular way, and it hasn't, and has disappointed me. I expected this job to excite me. It was, the, it was the breakthrough that I was hoping for, this promotion, and actually all it's done is stressed me out. The crowd had a very particular expectation of Jesus. Let's look at that together. They're expecting a king, and not just any kind of king. They're expecting a revolutionary, overthrow the Romans, deal with all the bad stuff that's going on in the city kind of king. That's what all the cloak and branches business is about. Verse eight, a large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them. This is like, I used this example this morning. This is like me walking along the Royal Mile, seeing Nicola Sturgeon approaching. I whip off my coat. I throw it in the muddy puddle. And I say, Nicola, do not walk in the muddy puddle. Walk on my coat. I would do anything for you. Anything. And someone came up to me afterwards and said, I would never do that for Nicola Sturgeon. <laughs> oh, gosh. She said, I would do it for the Queen, which maybe implies a slightly different political mentality. But <laughs> This is a crowd hungry for recruitment. What they're saying with the cloaks and the branches, I would follow you anywhere. I have an expectation that you are going to lead us to victory, that you are a military, revolutionary leader, and we are ready to follow you anywhere. That's what the crowd's expectation is communicating. And I, I don't suggest you try it in the meadows, otherwise you'll get, you know, held up for antisocial behavior and all of that. But it's what crowds did at the time to honor military leaders. Israel had a history of doing this. 
Do you know, this was the same kind of crowd that when King David, a thousand years earlier, paraded through the streets, they shouted, Saul has killed his thousands, but David, David has killed his tens of thousands. This is a mob of power-hungry revolutionaries wanting change. But Jesus knows that it's not that simple. He's not come in the style of King David. Sorry to disappoint you, or Judas Maccabeus, or any other kind of military hero that Israel had known previously. He's come as himself, as God, Jesus, God in flesh, gentle. The scripture actually says that. He's a gentle king. He doesn't come riding in on a horse like a big army general. And do you know, I read all the commentaries this week and they go pretty wild at this point trying to explain why Jesus came in on a donkey. But my uh, summary for you guys is basically a donkey is a bit of a joke of a horse. I mean, it's a bit of a ridiculous animal. Jesus is saying, I am not that kind of king. I am not that kind of king. He's very happy to dash the crowd's expectations. He's not coming to kick the Romans out. He's coming to rule in the hearts and the minds of men and women ready to serve him. It's an upside down, inside out kind of revolution. It's not just dealing with the specific evil of the Roman oppressors. It's dealing with the whole evil, the systemic evil in the world, the sickness that stops us living the life that God intended us to live, that stops us loving the other. That's, that's the kind of evil that Jesus came to deal with here. And I wonder when God shows up in your life, what do you expect? Just think about that for a minute. What do you expect? Maybe you know Jesus really well. Maybe you're only just getting to know him. Either of those are totally great. Whether he's shown up in your life for the first time or whether he's shown up in your life for the 51st time. We all come to Jesus with expectations and frameworks for who we think he is. That's not wrong, that's, that's just life. We can't do anything else. And Jesus comes to us very often in those moments where like the crowd, we're expecting something specific from him. Jesus, help me with my exams. Jesus, help me get this essay in on time. Jesus, would you fix this relationship? Jesus, would you help me with this job opportunity? And Jesus, he doesn't wait for us to sort our lives out, to come to us, to meet with us, to show up in our lives. He's the most, let me tell you, he's the most patient, the most kind friend I've ever known. He's consistently good. But he's also the most challenging friend I've ever had because he is not afraid to surprise me, to turn my life upside down, inside out, to say the hard things to me in the most loving, gracious, kind, patient way, but he still says them. He's the kindest friend you'll ever know, but he's also the most challenging. He shakes us up, and that's what we see happen in the city. That's verse 10, probably my most favorite verse in this whole passage. The message puts it like this. As he made his way into Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken, unnerved. People were asking, what's going on here? Who is this? 
Who is this? What a great question. Who is this? Who does he think he is? Could I gently suggest to you, I was talking this through with a friend just this week, that perhaps the stuff that you're expecting Jesus to move on in your life that feels like it's stalled might partly be because there's something he wants to show you about who he is. And actually, the shaking that's going on in your life, it's not, it's not a bad thing. It's the birthing of something new. It's the showing to you of something new about who he is and what it means for him to show up in your life. And instead of thinking, oh gosh, I've got all of these questions and all of these doubts and seeing that as a bad thing, actually, as God just showed up in your life and he's shaking things, because he's about to show you something new and he wants you to participate in what is gonna be the greatest adventure of your lifetime. I think for some of us, we need to see that in a more positive light. When God shows up, he's not always what we expect him to be and that's okay. Let him do that for you. But when God shows up, what do you call him? That's my next question, what do you call him? Names are important when we had our little boy Charlie. We named him Charlie because Charlie means warrior and that was some of what we felt God had given him to carry in his life. But um, this has never been more brought home to me than when early on in my marriage, my husband and another member of the staff team here were confused with each other in a prayer meeting. And um, basically my husband who's called Tom and um, my good friend and colleague, Thomas Dean. So Tom and Thomas, you see how easily these two can be mixed up. And then Thomas and I were basically at a church training event with Carl, and then we were being prayed for in separate sides of the room. And let's just say suddenly in the middle of prayer, everything went very silent, and my group were listening to the other group, and one man in that group was praying this blessing on Thomas Dean over a marriage that, quite frankly, was never meant to be. (laughs) And uh, I think Thomas is still to this day, recovering. Um, I actually, the man who did it, he's on prayer team, and you know, he knows how to pray. Let's just say it like that. He was really going for it. And he came up to me this morning after I told this at the 10.30 gathering, he said, do you know, Thomas didn't even stop me. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. He didn't even tell him. It took two weeks before his wife said to him, mate, I think you've mixed these two people up. So, Thomas, we need to have a chat later. It's very easy to get the wrong end of the stick. And the crowd had really got the wrong end of the stick here. Jesus had arrived in the city and they're shouting, Hosanna to the king. Hosanna to the son of David. That's what they're saying, the son of David. And you might be forgiven for thinking that the crowd have some serious birds and bees issues that they need to sort out here. The son of David, I mean, I know King David was fairly prolific in the reproductive area of his life, but seriously, a thousand years later is quite some achievement. What's going on here? Well, basically, son of David is a a royal title. It implies that they want to crown him as a king. And it's the truth because Jesus was and is a king. He's the greatest leader ever to have walked the face of this planet but it's not quite the whole truth. He's king over everything. His kingdom is so much bigger. He's the one 
under which God has placed all enemies of the kingdom of God. He is the king. What they were calling him was a truth, but not quite the whole truth. And I wonder when God arrives in your life, what do you call him? And do you have names for him that are perhaps truth, but not quite the whole truth names? You see, we can, we can think about Jesus, well, great man. I've got a lot of time for the things that he taught. God? And that's some of the mystery of the incarnation that God put on flesh and he came as himself to us, 100% human, 100% God, 200% Jesus. And he came to the earth. And it's easy to be swept up in the crowd, but when push comes to shove, if Jesus stood before you this evening, what would you call him? A good man? Or is he Lord? Is he your Lord? Is he your king? What do you call him? And some of us, maybe for the first time today, God's showing up in your life, and you know that he has been over the last few months. God's been showing up, and you know you want to call him more than just a truth, but not quite the whole truth name. And so uh, uh, later on, I'd, I'd love to help you pray that and meet Jesus for the first time. When God shows up, what do you call him? But what does he say about your house? When God shows up, what does he say about your house? I think he'd probably say, my house was a bit messy. <laughs> my husband went home from the talk this morning. He said, basically, I need to clean the windows and tidy the house. <laughs> But Jesus goes from this narrative of triumphal crowd, revolutionary entry to the temple. And it's a fairly confrontational scene. He has big things to say to his father's house. This temple, this place was supposed to be the place where God's holiness resided, where God's presence was. It was a place of prayer and encounter. And instead, it's become this place of barter and banishment and break down. And Jesus shows up and he judges it. He has some pretty full-on things to say to the people. You have made this a den of robbers. How dare you? You have missed the point. But more than this, I believe that what Jesus was saying here is that he was saying something about what or who the real house is. This temple was supposed to be the place where God was with his people. And Matthew's claim all the way through this gospel, this is one of his massive big themes, is that Jesus, Jesus, Jesus has become the place where God lives. Jesus is the place where you encounter the Father. Jesus is the place where the presence of God lives. It's Jesus. It's only Jesus. It can only ever be Jesus. It's him. It's all about him. It's as if Jesus steps up to the temple. I was going to give you an American accent this evening, but I thought I would just terrify you and maim you for life, so I won't even try. But it's as if Jesus steps up to the temple and he dons his cowboy hat and he pulls up his boots and he says, this house ain't big enough for the both of us. Because you can't have Jesus and the temple in the same city. It's bound to clash. 
You can't run an old system with a new. It's bound to clash. I can't live a lovely Christian lifestyle and then mess it up and not really talk to my father. I can't hide behind Christian busyness and leadership and responsibility and not be at all bothered about my neighbors who don't know him yet. It's, it's bound to clash. If Jesus is the place where God lives, then I need to actually live with integrity and honesty from his heart. I need him, he's the house. And that's true whether he's showing up in your house for the first time or for the 51st time this evening. If he is truly the house, the presence of God, then it's in him rather than any temple or church building or church leadership team or let's get really provocative here for a minute, missional community or student community that you're going to encounter him. It's in him that our healing and our forgiveness and our life is found. It's in Jesus. It starts with him. And I just sense for some of us today, it's like Holy Spirit shining through those windows wants to say to us, we need to deal with your second house syndrome today because it's not bringing you life. And Jesus came to bring you life. He came to bring you life in all fullness. And some of what Jesus does with your house is also about who he makes room for. So when God shows up, who does he make room for? And I, I love this about this passage. Instead of the blind and the lame being excluded from the temple, which was the case, we actually see in this passage, verse 14, they came to him at the temple and he healed them. The people who had been kept out, who all of their lives had been told, you are not welcome here. This place, this place that God set up is the place where he lives and he's supposed to reside and we're supposed to encounter him. Actually, uh-uh, <laughs> not you. You're not coming in. And Jesus arrives and he's like, come on in, guys. Come and encounter the Father and his healing. And he cures them. How amazing, literally best day of their lives. The thing is when Jesus the King becomes our house, when we make our home in him and he in us, he will grow in you a heart to include others. He will give you a heart for the marginalized, for the poor, for the people that nobody else cares about. So who's he making room for? Whether he's showing up in your life for the first time or the 51st time, who's he giving you a heart for? And this is some of the story of our church and our missional communities. God showed up in our lives and he's given us a heart for the surfing community in Scotland. He's given us a heart for young families in Portobello. He's beginning to give us a heart for Syrian refugees and what it might look like for them to be resettled in the city. He's giving us a heart for students who find themselves on the fringes and marginalized by society. He's giving us a heart for the homeless. This is what God does when he shows up in our lives. And it's wonderful. It's his work. He gives us a heart for people because he loves them. When God shows up, 
Lastly, in case you thought I was never going to end, <laughs> how will you respond? How will you respond? And in this passage, we see a number of responses. I've talked about the blind and lame. They came to him. But I want you to just picture with me for a minute here how much guts it must have taken for them to come to him. They hear that Jesus is in the temple, right? So they come to the entrance to the temple courts, the place where they've been told they were not welcome. They probably sat there begging at the place where they knew they were denied entry. And they hear that Jesus is there. And they defy societal expectations, history, everything that their families and their people had told them, you cannot go in here. And they step through. They maybe push through. They ignore the people who would hold them back. And they come to Jesus to find their healing. They came to him. The children They were shouting about Jesus. They didn't care what anybody thought. If ever this is a picture of the fact that kids should be able to make as much noise in a church gathering as possible, this is it. (laughs) You know, Jesus didn't care. In fact, he defended them. They were just being kids. Hosanna to the son of David. They were running around. They were making a mess. And it was great. The children celebrated Jesus. The blind and lame came to Jesus. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they were indignant. There was jealousy, there was fear, there was bewilderment, and there was probably some insecurity, feeling threatened by Jesus in their response to him. They had serious questions, and they didn't know what to do, so they accused him. What are these kids doing here? This is a disgrace. I wonder how you will respond to Jesus today. What does the child in you cry out? What do you celebrate about Jesus this evening? What does the cynic in you accuse? We all have that voice, especially me. (laughs) What does the cynic in you accuse that feels threatened by this new thing of Jesus that needs to come to him with those questions? There were chief priests and teachers of the law who came to know Jesus. They weren't all bad, but they had to deal with their questions. And what in you is searching for Jesus, like the blind and lame, and you're going to stop at nothing to find him? We can be all of three of those things in the same minute, and, and that's okay. But the point is, how will you respond to him? And actually, will you do it? And let me encourage you, Jesus defends his people. You know when the chief priest said, what are these kids doing? This is a disgrace. He defends those kids. He says, this is what my father said would happen. This is a good thing. When God shows up in your life and you respond to him, Jesus is amazing. Jesus will defend you. Jesus will stand up for you. Jesus will be there for you. He's the most faithful, the most patient, the most kind friend you will ever meet. But hear me right, he's also the most surprising. He's also the most challenging. He will defy, he will blow up your expectations. But he's good. He's good and he comes to bring life. Why don't we stand together and we can pray and respond to what God has been doing.
Jesus, we thank you that you showed up big style, incarnate, you put on flesh, you moved to this earth, you actually walked on this earth and you showed us what it was to be in relationship with our Father. And we thank you, Jesus, that you show up here tonight, that it wasn't just a once for all and then you were gone, but you're here by the power of your spirit. And that's a complete mystery, but it's also a reality. And so we welcome you, Jesus, and what you would do. And just in the silence, let's, in our own words, in our own hearts, let's just respond to him. What's he been saying to you? What are you gonna do about it? Let's respond to Jesus just in the quiet. I just wonder that for some of us, actually, for the first time, you know God's been showing up in your life, and tonight you want to say to him, yes, yes, Jesus. You want to say a truth about who he is, not just truth, but not the whole truth, but truth with a capital T, truth. You are Lord, you are Savior, and if that's you, everyone, if we could close our eyes to just honor those who might want to pray this. Um, but if that's you, just in the quiet, um, just in a minute, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand where you are, just so that um, we can acknowledge that between the two of us. And I would love to lead you in a prayer to meet with Jesus for the first time, the most patient, kind friend you'll ever meet, but also the one who calls you into life. So if that's you, um, please don't feel any pressure at all. If this isn't the right time for you, that's all right. But if you want to respond to Jesus for the first time this evening, would you just raise your hand now? Okay, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for showing up in my life. And I don't understand everything that you're doing and everything you are saying. And I haven't got all this being a Christian thing nailed, but I know that I need you in my life. So I thank you for who you are. And Jesus, I want to give my life to you. I say that you are Lord. You are my Lord. You are Savior. You are my Savior. You are friend. You are my friend. 
thank you that because of the cross, because you rose again, I can have relationship again with my father. And I give you my life this evening. Amen. Guys, if you, if you prayed that prayer with me, then um, the prayer team would love to uh, give you basically like a welcome pack to the kingdom because you just joined a massive worldwide family full of people who know Jesus. Um, they've got a Bible for you and some helpful resources to help you on your way as you follow Jesus. Welcome him as Lord in your life. So they're going to be over to my right, to your left. We're just going to take a bit of time just now to respond to Jesus together. Um, do you know, for a lot of us who God shows up in our life for the 51st time, sometimes it can become a little mundane. But let's not let that happen this evening because every time God shows up in our life, it's a precious thing, right? The God of the universe shows up in us, for us. Wow. <laughs> so if you want to take the time to go in and get prayer, just because you just say, I want to know Jesus more and I want to call him the right names and I, I want him to deal with the house stuff in my life, any, anything like that, perhaps you would love to pray for healing. We would love to pray for you. So um, do go over to the prayer team who are over on your left. Um, Thomas and the band are going to lead us in worship.